0: Well, how many of you have ever lost something that was extremely valuable to you I see a show of hands you've lost something that was extremely valuable. this really doesn't happen uh, to me but it happens to Michelle all the time and so I'm uh, actually pretty familiar uh, with this just joking honey just joking so Uh, Most of us have had the experience at some time or other of losing something that was really valuable to us, and and we know what a horrible, horrible feeling uh, that is, and we also know what a wonderful feeling it is if or when we find that thing that we lost. Isn't it just a wonderful feeling when you find something of value uh, that that you had uh, lost, uh, maybe some of us have had the experience of actually being lost ourselves, you know perhaps you were you were uh, hiking and you kind of lost your way and and you 're like eh, this this doesn 't feel good to be lost out here in the woods, or maybe you were driving through an unfamiliar city and you uh, made a wrong turn and and uh, weren't quite certain how to how to get back where you needed to be, and maybe it was a bad area of town and and that 's a bad it's a bad feeling uh, to, to have. So when you lose something valuable and then you recover it, there's great joy. When you're lost yourself and then you find your way out or someone helps you find your way out, there's great joy. You experience great joy. And this is what our text today is about. We're going to look at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. And in these verses, Jesus shares two parables with the people who heard him teach that day and with us. And these parables deal with loss and the recovery of what was lost. And in these parables, we find some really important lessons about God. And so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can, or it's also going to be on the screen behind me. Just follow along as I read. Here's what we find. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, And loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one does she not light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it and when she finds it she calls her friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me I have found my lost coin in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents are those some wonderful stories that jesus told so i want to mention at the outset here that what we've just read comes directly after jesus sharing with those who were gathered that day about the high cost of being his disciple it comes directly on the heels of jesus basically saying hey if you're going to if you're going to follow me, it's going to be costly. And I want you to note that chapter 15 begins with the tax collectors and the sinners gathering around to hear more from Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are standing around muttering about Jesus welcoming the wrong kind of people. So understand what's happening here. The wrong kind of people have heard about the high cost of following Jesus and they're still interested the Pharisees are only interested in preserving the distinction between themselves and everyone else you know we'd like to think that this doesn't happen within the church today but sadly it it does I really do believe that at some level most Christians and and of course all of us here today, hopefully, But but I believe that most Christians really do get it, that Christ's mission is for the least, the last, and the lost, that those whose lives are totally displeasing to God are exactly the people that Christ came for and exactly the people that the church is supposed to reach out to. And at some level, we all understand that We are those people whose lives definitely at one time were displeasing to God, but too often are still displeasing to God. And so I believe that most Christians really do celebrate Jesus' heart for sinners and really do rightfully have scorn for the Pharisees' self-righteousness. But you may have noticed that consistency is not a great attribute For most human beings and so we often find ourselves in the role of the Pharisees sometimes if we're not careful those of us who have been believers for a while can find ourselves responding with indignation to people who are far from God acting like people who are far from God Have you ever noticed that tendency in yourself? I I know that I have. And so as we find ourselves pulled in two directions, on the one hand, celebrating God's heart for sinful people, and on the other hand, sometimes, maybe often, offended by the actions of the sinful, the parables that Jesus told the crowd in Luke 15 come to us as a strong reminder that God's heart, Christ's heart, His concern is for those who are outside of God's will. His concern is for those who have removed themselves from his leadership of their lives. And he cares for them so much that he'll welcome and eat with them just as they are. And he lovingly pursues them to come back to the safety of his care. In the text that we read today, Jesus has some stories, and these stories have application for each of the people that were hearing him that day, but I think they have a special application, at least some of the points, for the Pharisees. These are stories with pointed points, and especially for the Pharisees. Jesus first shares the parable of the lost sheep. Now, shepherding isn't a line of work that most of us are familiar with in 2020. Most of us, when we think of shepherding, we probably envision a shepherd with a little flock of sheep sitting peacefully in a grassy field as the sheep graze quietly nearby and the shepherd skip stones on a nearby pond. But shepherds in Judea had a very difficult and a very dangerous job. Pasture for the sheep was scarce, Uh, the terrain was such that it was easy for sheep to wander off or stumble off the path, and these shepherds were like super responsible for these sheep. If a sheep was lost, the shepherd had to at least bring home the fleece of the sheep and explain how the thing had died. Coming back without a sheep really was not an option. And so shepherds became experts at tracking, and they could follow the straying sheep's footprints for miles across the hills. It was all in a day's work for a shepherd to risk his life for the sheep. At that time, many of the flocks were communal flocks, and so there might be two or three shepherds tending the sheep of their community. And so when a sheep was lost, those flocks that were safe would arrive home before the flocks that had a lost sheep from among their midst and the shepherds who had brought their flock home safely would bring the news that the other shepherd and the other flock had lost a sheep and that the shepherd was out looking for That's why he's not returned yet the whole village would would be concerned about this they would watch the horizon in anticipation and when they saw the shepherd finally striding home with the lost sheep across his shoulder There would arise from the entire community a shout of joy and thanksgiving that the lost sheep had been recovered. Jesus tells this parable to let the sinners, the Pharisees, and us know, and I think especially to let the Pharisees know, that this is what God is like that God is as glad when a lost sinner is found as a shepherd is when a lost sheep is brought home. God rejoices over the lost sinner being found. And then Jesus shares the parable of the lost coin. The coin described in the story was a silver drachma. It was the equivalent for most peasants of a day's wages. William Barclay informs us that losing a coin such as this would not have been difficult in a peasant's house. And finding it would have been extremely difficult. You see, the houses of the time were very dark. They were lit only by a single circular window, no more than 18 inches across. The floor was beaten earth, covered with dried reeds, And it made looking for a coin much like looking for a needle in a haystack. The woman would sweep the floor hoping she might hear the coin move. Or that she might see the coin glint in the little sunlight that was coming through the tiny little window. And Barclay provides for us two possible reasons why the loss of the coin could have been so troubling to the woman in the parable. Peasants living in Palestine were always living on the edge. Very little stood between them and hunger. They were living on the edge. Losing the equivalent of a day's wages would very likely mean that the family would not eat. Barclay also shares that there may be a more romantic reason why the woman is so troubled by the loss of this coin. The mark of a married woman at the time was a headdress made of ten silver coins linked by a silver chain of course the parable mentions 10 coins it would take years for most peasants to save for and acquire the 10 coins and to secure what would be equivalent to a wedding ring today this was such a special thing these 10 coined headdresses that these headdresses were not even permitted to be taken from a woman to repay a debt that otherwise couldn't be repaid. And so the woman in the parable either must find the coin out of economic necessity, or she must find the coin out of romantic and sentimental necessity. Much as you married ladies here today or watching by live stream would desperately look for your lost wedding ring. And I'll bet some of you have done that. It's a desperate search when the wedding ring is missing. Jesus says that this is what God is like when a lost person, a sinner, is found. This is what he's like. The joy of God and the angels of heaven is like the joy in a home when a coin that stands between that house and hunger is found. It is like the joy of a woman who loses her most precious possession with value far beyond money and then finds it again. That's the kind of joy in heaven over a lost sinner that is found. Think of the time that you were the most overjoyed at finding at recovering a lost item just imagine that in your in your mind for a minute that is what God is like when people who have wandered away from him or have intentionally turned away from him are found when, when they when they finally stop running when they finally stop running and they turn back to him this is a picture of what God is like. This is what God is like when you, it's what God was like when you turn to him in faith. He rejoiced. There are some things I think that God wants us to understand very clearly from these parables. Today I want to highlight 5 things that I believe God wants us to know about him that we find in these parables that Jesus shared. First, we should learn from these parables that God is a seeking God. God is a seeking God. Christ came from heaven to earth for the purpose of seeking and saving the lost. A great Jewish scholar by the name of C.G. Montefiore, I think is how you pronounce it, Notes that this is a revolutionary idea. Now, it doesn't seem revolutionary to us who have been Christians for a while, but this really is a revolutionary idea that God actively seeks out sinners to bring them home. He notes that the rabbis of Jesus' day would have agreed that God would welcome a penitent sinner, but it was a very new idea that God would not only welcome a penitent sinner but would actively seek out the sinner. It was a revolutionary thought that God would take the initiative in finding those who are lost. You might be someone here today or someone watching online who has never surrendered your life to God. You may have purposely lived life by your own rules, done your own thing, charted your own course without much thought of God at all. You need to know today that God isn't just waiting for you to change your mind and come to Him. God is actively seeking you. God is actively pursuing you. You might be someone who knows Christ as Savior, but you've wandered off. You've wandered off. You've turned away from a life of obedience to Christ. You've started doing your own thing. You've allowed sin to rule over you instead of Christ to rule over you. You need to know today that God is not just waiting for you to come to your senses. He's not just passively waiting, but God is actively pursuing you. He's actively pursuing you. You see, the sheep would never come to its senses on its own. The coin was never just going to present itself to the woman. Hey, I'm over here. That wasn't an option. The sheep and the coin would only be found by the active searching of the shepherd and the woman. And if you've wandered off from God, or you've never been with God to begin with, you need to know that God is actively seeking after you. He's actively searching for you. You ask, Brian, how is God actively searching for me? He's seeking you through the coworker who engaged you in a discussion of faith. He's seeking you through the coworker who asked if they could pray for any needs that you might have. He's seeking you through the friend who loves you enough to tell you that you're on the wrong path, Christian who has given yourself to sin. He's seeking you through the movie that you watched recently that had an unusual emotional impact on you, and this movie that wasn't a Christian movie at all, but made you think about how your life isn't the way that it should be. God is seeking you through that. And of course, God's ultimate act of seeking you was when he sent his one and only son into the world to die on a cross for your sins so that you could be reconciled to God through his son. God does not wait for us to come to him. Instead, God actively seeks us and if you're far from him today he is seeking after you with great determination here's the second thing we learn from these parables god is kinder or more kind whichever kinder thank you god is kinder than others are. God is kinder than men are. God is kinder than women are. Strict Jews of Jesus' day did not say there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. That's not something a strict Jew of Jesus' time would have said. Here's what they would have said. There will be joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated before God. That was the attitude. That was the attitude. This is why the Pharisees were happy to write off the tax collectors and the sinners as beyond hope and of deserving of nothing but destruction. But God isn't like that. Jesus is isn't like that and while some of us even may sometimes give up hope when it comes to someone who is far from God when it comes to someone who has walked away from God while we may give up hope that is not true of God he does not give up on people who are far from him some of you who are here today may not be living a life that is pleasing to god and maybe because of that you've had someone write you off maybe you sense that a parent has written you off maybe you sense that a friend of yours has concluded that you are beyond hope maybe you've been verbally condemned by someone who's indignant over your sin let me be clear that god is certainly displeased by sin God is certainly displeased by your refusal to yield to his rule over your life. He'll certainly bring conviction to bear on your life. But here's something that you need to know. No matter how many times you've resisted God's appeal to you, no matter how many times you've rejected God's rightful rule of your life, God has not written you off. People may have written you off, but God hasn't. When others write us off, God doesn't. He just doesn't. God still has good plans for you. He really does. He's seeking you so that he can save you and so that he can bless you with life that is really life. So he can bless you with true life so he can bless you with Christ kind of life and if you're far from God right now if you're honest with yourself you know what you're doing is not working you know that God wants to recover you for himself so that you can have real life life that works Life that works. The third thing we know from this passage of Scripture, and it's the reason for the title of the message today, we know that Jesus searches for sinners because God rejoices at their recovery. The message is titled, When God Rejoices. The answer is, when sinners are found and recovered. Here's what Pharisees tend to do. Pharisees tend to pout when people who haven't lived right decide that they want to follow God now. Now they're ready to follow God. Is sort of the attitude of a Pharisee. And what Pharisees tend to want to do is to forever hold people's past against them. But God isn't like that. God rejoices when a sinner repents. God's not like remembering all the things they did to to remind them uh, about that. God is rejoicing. Jesus says in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. And then Jesus says in verse 10, In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Here's basically what that verse is saying. Every time a sinner repents, there's a big old party in heaven. That's what it's saying. There's no antagonism on the part of God toward people who once were far from him and and ignored uh, his rule of their lives. There is only rejoicing that they have been found. There is only rejoicing that they have finally turned to him. Every one of us here today who have turned back from sin to God, God rejoiced over us. You need to know that when you turn back to God, God rejoiced over us. Over you. you know, I think we're often tempted to think of God, I know I'm tempted to think of God, as being dispassionate. You know, God, He knows the end from the beginning. There's nothing I've ever done or ever will do that's a surprise to Him. He, he, he knows all, He sees all. Uh, we, we reason this way. And so, because He knows everything, nothing surprises Him, and, and we think that nothing excites Him. But that's not what Jesus reveals to us about God. Jesus reveals to us that when a sinner repents, God rejoices. And all of heaven rejoices with him. God, who knows the end from the beginning, gets excited about something that took place in our lives. So here's what this tells us. If you're living apart from God's will for your life right now, you're a party in heaven that's just waiting to happen. That's what you are. If you're not close to God right now, you are a party that's about to break out in heaven. You see, God has not given up on you. He is waiting patiently to rejoice over you. Here's the fourth thing we learned from our text today. God wants servants who share his passion for recovering the lost. I wish you didn't have mask on because it's really hard to see expressions. Preaching is hard today if you want the truth. Kevin's eyes are smiling. I don't know about the rest of you. God wants servants who share his passion for recovering the lost. So understand that those hearing Jesus that day were the tax collectors and the sinners, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, and Jesus' own disciples. These were all the people that were gathered around hearing Jesus. And so there's a message for each group in these parables. And here's the message specifically for his disciples, both his disciples then and his disciples now. Here's the message. What excites God should excite us. What excites God should excite us. What causes God to rejoice should cause us to rejoice. What God is passionate about, we should be passionate about. God is excited about the recovery of the lost. God rejoices over lost people being found. God is passionate about not just waiting for people to come to him. He is passionate about seeking out... And saving those who are far from him and so if we're going to be Christ disciples we must be passionate about what God is passionate about and I promise you that I'm about to preach to myself as much as anyone else here so you don't need to be mad at me for what I'm about to say I am talking to myself more than anyone else, our actions often betray that we simply don't care that much about what God cared enough about to send his son to earth to die for, seeking and saving the lost. You say, Brian, that's sort of harsh. It might be. That doesn't mean it isn't true it's often sadly true we don't tell people about Jesus we don't live our lives in such a way that people note anything different about us too often and I know in our current climate this is really not even a thing we can hardly do but in more normal times we can't even muster up the courage to invite people to church Oftentimes, and again, speaking to myself, we're too often not passionate at all about seeking lost people. But God is. And so if we're going to be his disciples, we need to be passionate about what he's passionate about. You see, God sent his son To die for the sins of mankind, to seek and to save the lost, because, and this is really important, and this is something that we lose grip of too much, God did all of this because absent being found, the future is bleak for the lost. Absent being found, the future is bleak for the lost. But too often, we as Christians practically, we we seem to practically believe, or or at least we, we act like we believe, that this world is all there is. This life is all there is so we don't allow ourselves to think of the reality of millions of people separated from God forever but God's not like us God doesn't forget that God knows the reality and so when his plan of redemption gains another lost person he rejoices with all of heaven because that horrible future has been avoided for another person the lost have been found the condemned have been redeemed god understands what we too often don't understand that is a cause for celebration because what was going to happen to those people was so awful we don't even want to imagine it It is God's passion, and he expects his people to share his passion. He expects it. He expects it. And so if we don't have it, what can we do? We can pray. God, change my heart. God, help me to care about what you care about. God, help me to be passionate about what you're passionate about. God, help me to understand why it's so important for the lost to be found so that I'll give myself at least a little to pursuing the lost. The final thing we learn from our text today, if you're among the lost, God wants you to know how valuable you are to him. In the parable, the shepherd leaves the rest of the flock. He leaves the 99 to search for the one lost sheep. In the parable, the woman searches carefully until she finds the coin. God loves all of his people. He loves each and every one of you here today. He loves each and every one of you that belong to him. I uh, watching online, he loves all of his people. But his heart is so inclined toward the one that is lost, toward the one that is not currently with him, that Jesus says he's like a shepherd who leaves all the rest of the flock to go search for the one. More than that even, Jesus Christ left the splendor of heaven He didn't consider equality with God something to cling to. And so he let go of that. And he humbled himself to become a man. You are so valuable to God that Jesus Christ, God the Son, left heaven to search for you. To seek after you. To save you, can you? I, like we really can't fully understand that. For one reason, we don't understand the splendor of heaven. But if we could understand the splendor of heaven, I think it would start to sink into us a little bit. Like, oh my goodness, he left that to come here for me. It's amazing. It's amazing. Jesus said of his seek and save mission in the book of John, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. This is what Jesus does. Romans tells us that Jesus was crucified for our sins. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To pay the debt we could not pay and to redeem us for God. The writer of the book of Hebrews calls Jesus the great shepherd. Jesus the great shepherd loves you so much that he gave his life for you. That is how valuable you are to God. That is how valuable I am to God. You are so valuable to God that when you are finally found, when you finally turn to him. When you finally respond in repentance, the God of heaven, the creator of everything that is, the one who knows all of the mysteries of the universe, the one who scripture calls the alpha and the omega, the one who spoke the world into existence, and the one before whom every knee in heaven and earth is going to bow, this God, who has always been and always will be, breaks out in rejoicing because of you. That's an amazing thought. That's an amazing thought. Those of you who have been found, this is what God did when he found you. He rejoiced over you. And If you're here today or you're watching online, And you know that you're lost. Maybe you've never surrendered to God. Maybe you're not living consistent with your confession of faith. And so you feel very lost. I want you to know today that God is not angry with you. He is seeking you. He wants you to turn to him. No matter what you've done. And if you do that, he is going to welcome you. He's not going to reject you. He will welcome you. And he will rejoice because of you. So let me wrap this up by asking just a couple of questions. One question each for two different groups of people. For those of you who are Christ's disciples, you have already been found. You belong to him. Here's your question. Will you join in the search for the lost? Will you become passionate about what God is passionate about? Will you lay aside self-righteousness and indignation at how sinful people behave and welcome them and eat with them in order to seek them? Will you care enough about people Jesus loves to share Jesus with them? Will you care enough about people that Jesus is seeking to save that you will pray For their salvation. And if you can't do anything else, at least someday when life returns to normal, can you muster up the courage to invite someone to church? And for those of you who are willing to admit you're lost, and that can mean a lot of different things, maybe you're lost in depression. Maybe you're lost in some type of immorality. Maybe you're lost in the ultimate sense that you've never received Christ as your Savior. Those of you who are honest enough to admit that in some sense you are lost, will you finally today respond to the God who is seeking after you? Will you stop running from Him? Will you stop resisting Him? Will you turn to God in repentance and receive the love and the salvation that he's wanted to give you for your entire life? Will you do that today? Let's stand.